from the book of James, chapter 5, which can be found at page 1884 of the Black Bibles. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your silver and gold are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord is coming near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Okay, good morning. Hope you've had a, thank you, hope you had a good morning. Um, welcome to visitors as well. I know a few people uh, visiting today from different places in the state and elsewhere, so thanks for making time to come and be with us this morning and part of our family. Um, I, I wonder if you've been able to catch all the sermons in the book of James. If you've missed a few... Feel free to go back and listen online, they're on the church's website and they're easy enough to listen to, you can just actually click and play them from the web browser, which is all I do to catch up on sermons. Um, Let me start by saying thank you. Thanks for the privilege of being able to teach James over this last, well, five weeks now. Thank you for listening so well, thank you for uh, many of your encouragements and your feedback, which I've really appreciated. It has been a real blessing to be able to, to do this. Personally, it's been challenging. Um, and I think, uh, actually, as a, as a community, it's been really great. I wonder how you found the series. 
for James, for me, it's been quite a pointy book. Now, it's a book that keeps pushing us to think about our behaviour. It's very practical. James keeps reminding us that we need to live out the implanted word, the, the, the gospel of truth which we have as Christians in our hearts needs to be lived out. James tells us that our faith needs to show up in our actions. And that, that's very particular. It's all-encompassing. And it's actually really hard. It's one of those books that's easier said than done, right? <laughs> the day-to-day, how we use our tongue, it's a challenge. I wonder what particular challenge of James has leapt out at you this month. Uh, for me, it's actually one of them has been that call not to show favoritism. So I can think of three separate examples this last month um, where I've been out and about and I've noticed someone that I've known and I've thought in my, in my head, yeah, that is, that is, they're a hard person and uh, I don't know if I have time to talk to them right now. And I'm ashamed of it. I've actually, I've judged them. I've made a value judgment about that person. And I've, um, I think it's, that's the thing that James has already pointed out. I can think of a time when I was, I'd just been shopping and I had, you know, I had my groceries. I was on the way out from the shops and I saw someone who I knew from a past context. And I thought this, oh, this, you know, do I have time for them right now? I need to get home. I need to unpack the shopping and start writing a sermon on James 2. And then I remembered James 2 verse 1. Brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus must not show favoritism. James doesn't let us go. James is pointy in that regard. We don't get off the hook. What's required of God's people? Well, like Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, James says, well, God's people need to live righteous lives. Thank goodness for chapter 4. If you missed out last week, that'd be a really good one to go and listen to. Thank goodness for chapter 4, where you get told, but God gives us more grace. It comes out of nowhere, where just there's, there's this kind of rebuke, and then, but God gives us more grace. See, we're told to humbly submit to God in chapter 4, to humbly submit to Him in repentance, and He will lift us up. It's a glorious thing to daily walk in dependence and rejoice in the grace of God, because we so desperately need it, don't we? Then we come to the last chapter, chapter 5, finishing off the book today. Uh, Chapter 5, I think, is a great chapter, and it, it forces us to lift our eyes up at what is coming. It gives us great comfort and confidence in God as we patiently wait for His return. See, after such heavy exhortations in the book of James, about our words, our actions, our behaviours, even our desires, chapter 5 offers us two great gifts. The gift of hope and the gift of prayer. Hope in the coming justice of God and prayer that is powerful and effective for believers. So let's jump in. We'll look at the first one, which is hope. And we heard some of this in the kids' talk. So let's look at James chapter 5. It would be great to have that open in front of you. And we'll look at the first six verses, that first chunk. Uh, here's some of the language that's used here. So verse 1. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted. The moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify 
against you and eat your flesh like fire. Strong language. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Does this language, does it seem a bit much? Does it seem a bit strong? I mean, James is uh, used to using strong language. In the book, we get lots of strong language. In fact, in chapter 2, the first nine verses, James has a go at the Christians who really think too much about wealth and their relationship to rich people. But this feels like it's a step up. These first six verses in chapter 5, look at verse 5. You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. It's amped up language. He's saying, effectively, he's saying, your selfish indulgence, your gluttonous life, has only caused to fatten you up for the day of your slaughter, the day of judgment. There's no offer of grace in these verses. There's no call to repentance like we get elsewhere, especially in chapter 4. It's just judgment. And judgment's so short, it's as if it's already happened. This is a prophetic lament. It's a genre of writing we can find elsewhere in Scripture. Who, who is James talking about in these first six verses? Well, he's talking about rich oppressors. You see it in verse 1. He's talking about those wealthy oppressors. Is he talking to the people in his church? Well, we want to make sure we're not in this category. But for James, his purpose is he's actually pointing out to those believers in the church that those rich oppressors, well, judgment is coming for them. He's not addressing this directly as a judgment of Christian believers in the church. He's addressing it as a judgment of those out there, those rich oppressors. The words are intended as comfort for those being oppressed. It's like he's saying to the church that he's writing to, hang in there, those rich oppressors will get their justice. Their time is coming. It functions as a promise to the oppressed within the church, that God's healing, His powerful justice is on its way. So be comforted. Judgment for the early church was not a source of embarrassment, but a source of comfort, a source of great hope, as they longed for God to come and restore all the wrongs in the world. See, in the historical context at the time, these are people who didn't have a lot of power to, to bring about their own justice. They didn't really have a voice. So the offer of hope at the coming justice of God would have been particularly potent. For us today, well, living in Adelaide, Australia, we do have a justice system, and it works pretty well most of the time, I understand. And we, we can have a voice. We can speak up. What a gift from God. There's nothing wrong with pursuing justice now. Just remember, the ultimate justice belongs to God. Do you hear the, the tone change in verse 7 when we read it? So in verse 1, we go from, now listen here, to verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. He's now addressing those Christian brothers and sisters. James urges them well, not to rise up in rebellion, against the evil oppressors, but to patiently wait for the Lord's justice, like a farmer waiting for the rain. The drought will break, so be patient. It's words of comfort, and words, it's really it's also a call to patiently endure. 
like we've seen in James 1, to persevere through trials. Just like the farmer patiently waiting for life-giving rain, in verse 8, you too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. It's a gift. In spite of how our modern ears might read a passage on judgment, it's meant as comfort. We need to work out how to take it that way. It's a gift. How, how does this sure hope of the coming justice of God work out in our lives today? Well, our burning trial or struggle might not be suffering at the hands of evil oppressors. Probably isn't. But like those poor Christians uh, that were suffering in this way, we still need to persevere through trials and temptations. We still have things we need to hold out and wait for God's return on. Probably the biggest one for me personally is just daily struggle with sin. You know, that the daily grind as I have to work at saying no to sin in my life in its various kinds. That internal struggle um, I face as, you know, I confront my children or you know, people who I just, sometimes it's just hard to choose that path of wisdom and say no to sin and restrain the tongue. Well, that, that's a struggle. That's one example of, of many. So the hope of God's coming justice for me is this. I won't always have to struggle with sin and temptation. God's coming, it will end, it has an end point. Because the Lord is coming near, the passage says. How does this hope of the coming justice of God bring you comfort? Well, we won't always have to struggle out of bed in the morning, dealing with the increasing pain and aging and sickness and disease. Because the Lord is coming near, there's an end point. We won't always have to persevere with you know, family relations or maybe colleagues who just seem to make life bitter. Because the Lord's coming near. One day soon, Jesus will return and restore justice, bringing an end to all our struggles with sin, shame, hate, oppression and pain. What marvellous hope. There will be restoration. Wait patiently for God's coming. James gives us two examples of people in the Bible who were patient as they waited for the Lord. We have the prophets who are commended as those who had patience in the face of suffering. We are, they are counted as blessed. And Job, a great story from the Old Testament, probably the supreme, one of the supreme stories of suffering on a human level. What happened to Job? Well, he was restored both materially and physically, even during his life on earth. After a long period of suffering, God restored him. How much more are the eternal rewards that God has prepared for those who trust in him and patiently wait for his coming? We've got good things to look forward to in this short, temporary life on earth. Take hope. God will bring justice. So the first one is hope. The second great gift that is held out in chapter 5 is prayer. What did you think about prayer as, as a gift? So we're not on our own. God is our loving Father who loves to lavish good gifts on His children Flick back to chapter 1 in James, in verse 17 in chapter 1. 
we read about the kind of heavenly father we have. Verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. God longs for us to pray and he longs to give us good gifts. The whole point of verses, if you go back now to chapter 5, the whole point of verses 13 to 18 in chapter 5 is that we should pray. It's the main point, pray. It's an incredible gift. Pray while we wait patiently for the Lord's return, living out heavenly wisdom, depending on His glorious grace, pray. Let me underline this point for us. This section on prayer in the book of James does belong in the book of James. Let's not just pull it out and read it on its own. Remember last week? We're to humbly submit to God in repentance and dependence. Well, this happens predominantly through prayer. Right through the book, like we're to persevere through trials of many kinds. And we're to do that crying out to God in prayer, asking for wisdom and He will give it to us. We're to pray while we patiently wait for God's justice. And we need to express our humble dependence on God in all situations through prayer. Back in chapter 5, have a look at verse 13 to 14. We're told, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Pray. Pray in every situation. We're told in verse 16, the prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. What a gift. Just like the example of Elijah, who was human, but prayed that the rain would stop, and it did. It'd be nice to be able to do that the day before concrete's poured in your build, which we're having at the moment. Uh, And sometime later, Elijah prayed that it would rain again, and it did. It's a great example of the incredible power of prayer. But do we have a problem with these verses as well? I think at an intellectual level, it poses some questions for us. We don't always see in our time on earth, God answer all our prayers. We don't always have our troubles and sickness instantly removed when we pray. So what's going on? Well, I don't think this passage gives us permission to arrogantly uh, treat God like a magic genie. Sometimes, we don't know why, but sometimes the answer to our prayers is no. Nonetheless, we need to allow God to be God. We need to come before Him humbly and acknowledge that He is sovereign. His ways are higher than ours. We're told that the prayer of faith is what's required. And what's the prayer of faith? Well, a prayer of faith. The prayer is a faith that acknowledges who God is, is our sovereign God. Context of James helps us out a lot here. Uh, the priority in James, what is it? It's not health and prosperity, it's perseverance and patience to maturity. In verse 8 in chapter 5, be patient and stand firm. It's not, you know, live long and prosper. I can't quite do the Vulcan greeting, but you know, it's, it's not about our own temporal pleasure. What's the life of faith? It's the life lived in dependence. 
It's a life of perseverance waiting for his return. Yep, it's a tricky passage. Let us, uh, yeah, we are encouraged to pray. And when we're sick, and we, ex- and we, we should expect, or it seems, when we're sick, we should expect God to heal. So have a look at verse 15. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. Um, I was chatting with a friend this week about this passage. I mentioned, his, you know, what do you think of this verse? And she said to me, I'll tell you a sad story about uh, someone I knew. Um, so she said, I had a friend whose mother was really sick, and at the church they attended, the elders came, they prayed for this sick woman, they anointed her with oil, and sadly, she didn't recover, she died. And the tragedy is that the elders then told the, the child that, well, she died because she didn't have enough faith. Um, understandably, perhaps, that person no longer has anything to do with church. Uh, it really makes me quite angry. You know, this passage can't be stretched to mean that when God withholds a healing, it somehow means that the person's faith is weak. Um, if, you, if somehow we could know that the problem was faith, then at least in the passage it seems that it's the faith of, it's the, faith of the elders that has the issue, not, not the poor sick person. When healing occurs, what's the source of healing? Is it the quality of faith? Is it uh, adherence to a particular uh, healing formula? Is it perhaps a special brand of olive oil? No, no. the source of healing is the power of God. All right. If you have a look at the passage, it says that in there, uh, the sick person is to be anointed in the name of the Lord, in verse 14. And, in verse 15, who will raise them up? The Lord will raise them up. So, when God chooses, and some of us have seen healings, it doesn't, it's not impossible for God to heal, it happens, but when God chooses to heal someone, don't say, wow, you know, that person has amazing faith. Instead, go, wow, we have an amazing God, who in this case chose to bring healing even now. It's great, but it's not the quality of faith that brings the healing. Still, what is going on in this passage? God doesn't always miraculously heal. Oh, we still have doctors, they still have jobs. Um, you know, actually Christians eventually will die. The people James wrote to eventually died. Even the Apostle Paul, a man of great faith, a man who met Jesus face to face, face to face, <laughs> face to face, didn't always see his prayers answered. Uh, you might want to flick there to, page, to 2 Corinthians, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you'll find on page 1804, in 2 Corinthians 12, it's quite an interesting passage, verse 7, Paul writes, we'll pick it up partway through verse 7, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. It's a really interesting little passage, and one that perhaps raises other questions for us. Nonetheless, I think it fits pretty well with the picture of James chapter 1, to persevere through trials, and that God can use them to bring maturity in our lives. God and His sovereignty, it seems, can use physical sickness or weakness 
to bring people to greater spiritual maturity. I'm not suggesting that's always an easy thing. It seems to be what was going on for Paul. Okay, so I'm suggesting that we can't use verses 15 and 16 of chapter 5 as a guarantee that God will always heal every sickness. But what is it saying? Well, to be honest, I'm not 100% sure. I spent quite a bit of time on this. Um, I think I know what's going on, but it's not super clear. Uh, can I suggest a couple of possibilities? So this is really trying to nut through why, has, why can James say, uh, with seeming great confidence, God will heal on every occasion. Okay, look at verse 15. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Do you notice the connection between sin and sickness? It's pretty clear for me, to me, I think, that there's something going on here. There's a connection between sin and sickness, because there's often confession. There's confession and healing. Some people make sense of this passage by suggesting that perhaps the words sickness could be translated as weakness, and perhaps the word healing could be translated as restoration. Uh, if we go this way, uh, what that verse then is saying is, well, it's spiritual restoration that's on view, not physical sickness. Now, I'm, I'm happy for people to go this way, uh, but I think it is a bit of a stretch. Uh, we need to be faithful with this, the words as we have them, and the same words for sickness and healing that James uses are used throughout the Gospels where that clearly means physical sickness. Um, and James, you know, as we know, relies heavily on the Gospels. So I, don't act, I think it is actually physical sickness that's on view. Another way of possibly reading this is that um, the sickness that is on view in these verses is it's physical sickness that may have resulted from particular sin. Okay, so it could be that there's physical sickness that may have resulted from particular sin. This is not a concept that was unknown in Judaism. So we see examples of this in the Old Testament where God's judgment seems to come in the form of a plague or sickness. And we see examples even in the early church. If you're taking notes, you might want to jot down a reference. 1 Corinthians 11:29 is an example of where I think we see um, sickness that might result from sin. 1 Corinthians 11:29. I wonder if you can see the logic here. I'm not suggesting this is easy or even necessarily the, exactly the right way to read the passage. But if there's sin that's on view that leads to sickness, then this might be the logic. Uh, James is saying, well, if you have sickness uh, that has come because of particular sin in your life, then confess your sin, you'll be forgiven. And the, sin will go, the sickness will go away. Notice the if in the middle of verse 15. If they've sinned. Well, of course they've sinned. But if they've sinned in a way that's caused illness, well, for sure, there'll be healing when there's forgiveness and confession. Clearly, not every sin leads to specific sickness. We'd be sick all the time. And clearly, not every sickness is because of a specific sin. If the sin leads to sickness. I mean, Jesus points this out as well. 
uh, quite clearly in John chapter 9. If you want to flick there, it's page 1664. John chapter 9, the verse, first three verses. Have a look at what is said here. John chapter 9. You see, again, there's in the minds of the people that question Jesus, there's some kind of connection going on between sickness and sin. So in John chapter 9, verse 1, as he, as Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be blind? Neither, Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus says, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Okay, look, I've, I've tied myself in knots a bit this week, trying to work out what's going on in this passage. And um, I, one sense, not sure that it matters too much exactly how we work out exactly what's going on in those two verses. As long as we don't try and build a strange theology of healing around two verses. But the application is still really clear. What are we to do? Well, the point is, pray. Pray. Where there's sickness, sin or weakness, pray. Sometimes it might involve calling the elders. Sometimes it will involve confessing to one another and praying for each other. But all the time, pray. That's the point. Prayer is a great gift from God. And it's a great antidote to pride and arrogance. It reflects what's in our heart. It's humble submission and dependence on Him. These are the big themes running through James. Prayer does wonderful things for us. And it's also effective. God does answer prayer. He can and does heal physical sickness and His sovereignty and choice. Our great God wants to give us good gifts. Prayer can help us to tap into that. Our great God has it's like a, a storehouse of good gifts for us, for His people. It's possible that through prayer, God might choose to do something in your life that might not happen if you don't pray. So pray. He wants us to ask. Pray when we're sick. We need to pray when we're happy. Pray when you're in trouble, pray in all situations while we patiently wait for Christ's coming. And finally, when He comes, of course, all things will be restored for His children. All sickness goes. No more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. The troubles are gone. No more temptation. Can you imagine life? What incredible hope. Well, James has been an incredibly instructive book. Uh, we've seen the challenge to live out our faith in every aspect of our lives, choosing the path of heavenly wisdom, not being friends of the world. You know, we've been reminded that we must live out our lives in humble submission to God, depending on Him, daily walking in repentance, relying totally on His grace. And now in the last chapter, our eyes are lifted up to this great hope, great comfort, and Christ coming, His return, He'll, he'll bring it all to an end. The struggle stops. And he, we get this great gift of prayer. There's encouragement to pray while you're doing all these things that we've been told to do in James, living out our faith. Pray. And God hears our prayers. And prayer is powerful and effective for believers. Hope and prayer. Let me finish by praying for us.
I hope that uh, if you had any questions during the sermon, because you know there's plenty there in the chapter, there's a um, phone number here you can send SMS questions to. Uh, well, if you're quick, because it's going away in a minute, but let me pray. And uh, since we're talking about prayer a lot, and um, we'll, we'll um, continue with our service. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the book of James and its strong encouragement to live out our faith and to stand firm in this broken world while we wait for your return. Thank you that your justice is coming when you will finally restore all things and bring all healing, make all things new. Thank you for the power of prayer. Thank you that we can come to you with our troubles, our joys, our sickness and our pain and know that you hear us and know that you love us. Help us to trust in you and express our trust in prayer. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.